You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. The Gator panel presented by Gators Breakdown in the Big Three. Roll-up is ready to go. I am David Waters of Gators Breakdown Right here first, and hey, Silk, we're doing this again, man. Hey, man, another go at it, man. It's just, it's under good circumstances. Let's hang out. Yeah, a couple yeah. months later from the uh, first time we did it, and uh, hey, we're having fun right now. But uh, let's get everybody else in here and uh, introduced. Zach Alberti, we'll start with you. Yes, Zach Alberti from ESPN Gainesville and uh, Gator Bait Magazine. Happy to be back with everybody, and uh, happy bye week. Tay Casey. Hey, Tay Casey. Gator football. Uh, sideline guy. Now, just hanging out with you guys. Nick Del Torre, GatorCountry.com. Sometimes ESPN Gainesville when Zach's on baby duty. <laughs> I'm Tom Skullcamp, Swamp 24-7. I'm uh, here to make fun of Nick and talk to Gator. <laughs> Let's go. Oh, this is Dan Thompson with Gator Country. Graham Hall. Uh, Graham Hall, Gainesville Sun, and uh, Gator Bay Magazine. Banned from every Chuck E. Cheese in America. <laughs> With a creepy mustache. Tyler. <laughs> hey, man, it's uh, Tyler here, otherwise known as T-Mac Bourbon Gator. I'm representing, representing the people from the timeline tonight here. Insider yeah. Heat. Insider yeah, Heat, baby. Oh, yeah, I created Insider Heat, but now it's taking a life of its own. It was joking about people not knowing what the hell they were talking about, but now it's just anything related to anything. Well, I was going to—I was going to tell you to uh, describe what Insider Heat was, but there you go. That's—I just uh, made fun of people that had wrong information. <laughs> <laughs> All right, last time we did this, you know, with everybody that's here, we had a little bit of audio problems, so everybody kind of just bear with us when we have eight, nine people here. Uh, there may be a little bit of echo going around technology, but uh, we're going to hear do this again. Gators six and one right now. Unexpected for some, unexpected for most, but it's been a fun ride this season. And, of course, we can't, we can't forget the disappointing loss to Kentucky, but the Gators have found a way to win every way possible so far. It's been a fun season. There's plenty of, plenty of reasons for fans to be excited uh, watching this team progress and win at the same time. So, What was that? <laughs> oh, you didn't hear me? <laughs> No, you asked me a question. No, I didn't hear you. I'm sorry. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, as they say, it's a fun time to be excited and watch this team progress and win at the same time. Well, absolutely, man. Um, we're ahead of the schedule, man, right now, in my opinion, man. I didn't – I mean, I came on here. I'm a homer, man. So, when I, when I came on here and said 10 wins, I was really just blowing smoke, to be honest with you, bro. Um, realistically, I was thinking about eight wins. Zach probably believed what he was saying because Zach more of a homer than me, dog. But I didn't believe 10 wins. I said 9-3. You said 9-3. Yeah. I hope Lance didn't hear that. But 
No, he, I think we're, he, he took it hard. <clears throat> I think we're ahead of schedule, man. Um, we've improved in every facet of the game from the last regime, whether it's uh, special teams, offensive line, defense, whatever it is, we look a lot better than last year, man. So, yeah, it's a good start to the, uh, to the new era. I'll put it this way. You guys are sitting here talking about like nine wins wasn't realistic. Because I was sitting here looking at it originally, I'm sitting here thinking nine, ten wins for the talent on this team versus what Dan Mullen brings to the table as a coach with Todd Grantham on defense. Nine's pretty damn realistic if you put it to use. The question mark was surrounding the quarterback position, and, and the biggest thing that I had to say was, look at the talent you have at wide receiver and running back, and if we can develop that talent, you take the heat off of Felipe Franks or Kyle Trask, it becomes a realistic situation. I mean, I think right now where we're at, is due to what Dan Mullen has been able to accomplish, making the offensive life a little bit easier for Felipe Franks and then the offensive line coming up and making that you know a little bit more realistic. I think that's even still a learning process with Dan. I think each week you go by and he, he's seeing, yeah. okay, Felipe's really not doing this well, and you just take that out. Instead of trying to force feed it and make him do those things um, each week, it's, okay, he doesn't do that well, but he's doing this well. And, and the game plan for each week, like you knew that Mississippi State, or maybe you didn't know, but you saw early on that Mississippi State was playing off. So, hey, let's let's throw those screens to death. Next week, you get LSU. Hey, they got two great corners. They're not going to do that. So, you have something completely different. So, um, hats off to Dan Mullen and what he's been able to do, especially with Felipe and the game plan around him. And, to, and I'm going to touch on that, too, because when you see Kadarius Tony and Pierce getting more touches, especially last week, the one thing we were looking for is when that was going to happen. And I think you're right. The game plan changes however it needs to each week to make sure that we accomplish wins. And right now, Dan Mullen's done a great job of trying to balance that with, I guess, practice reps and how that looks during the week. And I think, I think that's what stands out to me the most is, you know, we can talk about preseason expectations and how many wins Florida's going to get. Um, but more than anything, I think what was important in this first year was seeing kind of a plan start to emerge. And I think you guys just nailed it. You know, it just looks – so much more efficient and so much more coherent under Dan Mullen. I think that's the biggest reason to be encouraged moving forward. Yeah, I would say, you know, as far as how the offense looks, I think one thing with football is being multiple. And Dan Mullen has shown the, the a capability of being multiple. Whether something's not working, whether the offense or defense isn't showing you something, he's able to dial something up at halftime. The next series that has been something we haven't seen really. Um, and week by week, you know, the first game you see screen people to death and you come run heavy and he's just so much lighter on his feet when it comes to play calling in the field for the game. Hey, Dan. Yeah. You were, you know, when we throwing out our predictions, you probably were, you know, I, I think you, you hit the, the, the win total higher than, than most of us did. And yeah. uh, kind of to Tate's point, my point was I was thinking, eight wins because I wasn't sure about the quarterback position. I wasn't necessarily a believer in Felipe Franks until I actually saw it. Now I've seen it, and, and I've seen what Dan Mullen brings to the table and what he can do to tailor the offense around him, yeah. do something different every week. And that, that, was, that was my reservation. But, you know, for as far as win total goes, you were pretty high with before the season started. Yeah. No, I had, uh, I had the Gators going 10-2, and two, and I think that you can see the improvement now. I, I said 10 and two because I, I thought a lot of chips would fall their way. I didn't expect them to beat Kentucky or uh, to lose to Kentucky, pardon me. Um, but, you know, I, I, I did think up to this point there was certainly a chance of them being seven and oh. 
I didn't know if it was possible. I thought that LSU was going to be worse than they actually are this season. Um, and, you know, Mississippi State was a wild card too. So, you know, up to this point, I thought the Florida had a pretty favorable schedule, and I liked Dan Mullen a lot. So, you know, I thought that what he could potentially bring to that group is, you know, the difference between last year's four-win team and now a team that's already won six wins. Um, I don't think that a lot of us expected it to, to kind of gel this quickly. I thought that there would be some scrappy wins in that. Uh, in that, you know, six, seven wins to start the season. So um, I think that they're far ahead of our expectations. I knew that the defense would improve a bit um, just schematically. Um, I think some of the positions there played a lot better than we could imagine. Um, but I, I knew that the difference could be in special teams. And I think that Florida's won a couple games simply because of special teams. Graham. Yeah, absolutely. You know, some of the things that stuck out to me the most is um, – I think a lot of people expected Dan Mullen to come in and, and instantly be familiar with Florida's personnel and, and their skill sets and, you know, what they did well. Um, but this is a coach who has said since he got in the building that he didn't really want to look at what happened the last three years, the last, the last season even. Um, he was asked even today about his preparation uh, for Georgia and if he even, you know, got anything out of that last game and he gave a resounding no. I mean – you know, people were questioning why he wasn't getting the ball to, you know, Kadarius Tony more. And we're seeing more and more of that. And this is something that, you know, Dan Mullen is also familiarizing himself as well as also we talk about the things you guys said, the players adjusting to the new scheme, the switch to the defense. I mean, it is kind of amazing when you look at all the transitions that had to happen from the coaching staff, the players to see them here at six and one. And the things you guys kind of touched on about Felipe Franks, people said kind of resoundingly, if they were to be here, Felipe Franks had to be a, a good quarterback. And I would even argue that he hasn't even, you know, I would say he's been above average, um, but I, I think Dan Mullen would call him good right now. Um, and that's a testament to, you know, how, how well everyone else has done, how far Dan Mullen has gone and how he's been able to adjust his offense, that game plan that you guys said week in and week out around Florida more, more than around the opponent. And that's something that, Florida's last two head coaches didn't do a very good job of at all. You know, I want to just hop on what, what Graham just said real quick. Um, I don't think when, when we met a, a couple months ago, we, none of us thought that Felipe Franks needed to be a world beater. And I think he's probably doing a little bit better than we anticipated. But I think when you look at the way that Florida's won, he, they're winning the way that we thought. And that would be by Felipe Franks making smart decisions, doing a good job in the red zone, and then ultimately relying a lot on the, on the running backs. And that's something that they've done all season. So I think the plan that we thought at the beginning of the season um, is kind of what they're following. But, you know, more importantly, Felipe Franks has done a great job of doing a little bit better, avoiding sacks and avoiding uh, interceptions. And, you know, except for that, uh, that fumble against Vanderbilt, avoiding a, a lot of turnovers. I think the I think the biggest thing was last year he wanted to be the reason that Florida was winning games and he would force passes or, or try to make. Yeah, I think, I think no. last year he just had trash coaches to be honest with you. <clears throat> well, I mean that, that may be or may, may or may not be the case, but this year he's just happy winning, and if, and if that means I'm handing the ball off 59 times, cool. Uh, as long as we we get the game, if that makes sense, he's just happy winning now, even if the win isn't centered on his production. I don't know if he, he was like, because he don't strike me as like a selfish teammate, man. So I don't think that was his thing last year. I just think he didn't trust the coaches and he was trying to win it himself, to be honest with you, man. Now he trusts Dan. Hero ball. What was that? Yeah, he was playing hero ball, man. He, I mean, after the Tennessee game, I mean, I kind of expected him to start chunking stuff deep, man. But I just think he's taking the coaching well. And Dan Mullen is the quarterback whisperer because Frank looked like, he looked terrible last year, bro. He, it's night and day, man. 
Exactly. Probably the, the I think the biggest surprise of getting six and one right now was we didn't see this necessarily probably after the Kentucky game when Florida was one and one and they got dominated over 300 yards rushing to a Kentucky team. Um, I think expectations got reset, but then lo and behold, here they are anyway. Yeah, it's interesting that you say that because I mean, I, I had them at, you know, six and one at this point in the season because I thought they'd go nine and three. I thought two of those losses would be Georgia and Florida State. So they're right where I thought that they would be, except I thought that that loss would be the Mississippi State. I don't think anybody had them losing to Kentucky. And when they did lose to the Wildcats, you know, have that winning streak come to an end. I mean, you're right. That totally changed expectations for the season. People were talking about if the team was going to be able to make a bowl game. Um, but as, as we've seen through, as, as these games have played out, that loss really changed everything for them. Um, and they kind of use it as a springboard to the winning streak that they've gone on, the wins that they've that they've had, and they've been able to find different ways to win. That's that's probably been the most impressive thing. As they've, as Dan Mullen said after the game, they've won with with you know a lot of points and, and big plays. They've won a close defensive battle. They've won a game where they had to grind it out and come back, and then they had a you know a record-setting comeback. So when you do all those things, and and you know as a coach that you know you can win different ways as a team. Uh, it's a credit to the job that you've done with your staff. And, I mean, let's think about it, guys. Where is there a position that they're not better? I mean, probably the only spot that you could point to is, is you know, maybe defensive tackle um, because of how elite they were last year with Taven Bryant and then at cornerback because Marco Wilson's out. But, you know, the improvement that they've gotten out of other guys and, and you know, folks like Trey Dean stepping up and Chauncey Gardner-Johnson uh, uh, transforming the way that he has. I mean, every position that you go, go down the board all the way in the special teams, they've done way better uh, and exceeded, I think, a lot more than, than everyone thought. Yeah, well, I think I think that's part of it. I think, you know, going back to Felipe Franks last year and him trying to do too much, I think part of that was people didn't realize how bad the defense was, too. I mean, you know, we got caught up in, oh, it's Felipe Franks this, Felipe Franks that. That defense was the worst scoring defense since 1946. I mean, there were issues all across the board, and I think the Kentucky game in a lot of ways highlighted that it wasn't just Felipe Franks, you know, that that defense gave up 303 yards rushing. And I think what we've seen since is kind of what you're hitting on that Dan Mullen has kind of been able to recognize all those different pieces and be able to piece together kind of a game plan to make all of that work. And I think that's part of the reason that Franks isn't having a press quite as much anymore. And I think another piece that we're, we're skating around too is the fact that I think that this coaching staff that we had a lot of questions about from a recruiting standpoint two months ago, I think that that's where their familiarity with each other, with what, seven or eight of them having worked together last season, I think that that's a huge piece of it as well, them being able to mesh and work well together. I think that that's a, uh, a huge value that Florida has this year that they might have taken a, a few lumps in recruiting, but I think that this staff and this team is gelling so well together because the coaches are comfortable with each other. Yeah, I think something's it's, – it's kind of funny how this works out. I, I did go back and listen to the last panel episode and just how much – of course, we talked about the quarterback position in Felipe Franks, but a lot of us sat here and thought Emory Jones would get some type of carries, some type of package. And for every important snap so far this season, it's been Felipe Franks behind center and not really a second thought behind it. Rightfully so, in, in my opinion. Um I mean, Frank's doing a good job running the ball. I mean, we also expect a lot of QB dives out of Dan Mullen, man. He, he kind of surprised us with that one, too, man. He's flexible, man. He could adjust to the type of quarterback and team he has, bro, because we did expect a lot of QB dives and a lot of running, but 
Dan Mullins finding creative ways to run the ball on the edge, inside with the running backs, uh, little, little speed options. Oh, well, you really don't need to uh, burn Emory's red shirt or anything like that. Let him sit, let him develop. Well, I think the big thing for me is you talk about Emory Jones. Let, let Emory Jones just simmer, right? Yeah. You, got, you got a good quarterback right now who's managing games, who's allowing you to win games. And not only that, you got a guy behind him, and Kyle Trask is capable of probably doing the same thing, which we haven't seen yet. But he's capable. And Dan Mullen's been able to manage these quarterbacks. My biggest thing is Emory Jones is an athlete, right? He's a freshman. Give him a year. Put him in the weight room with Nick Savage. Let him develop an offseason, right, like he's never developed before. You've seen some of the transformations that we've had right now out of these players. Could you only imagine if we've had that for the last three years? Could you imagine yeah. if a guy like Taven Bryan was under Nick Savage as a strength coach instead of what we had in the last three years? And that's the biggest thing that Dan brings to the table. Nick Savage – is a counterpart of Nick Marotti. Nick Marotti is probably one of the best strength coaches to ever come through the program. Legend. What he does is transforms players. And you look at Ohio State. Look at all the guys that he's coached at Ohio State and Urban Meyer's philosophy, how he does it. Dan's is no different, except he handles his program in a little bit different manner. He's not as edgy. He's not as, you know, grit, whatever. He is when he needs to be, but he knows how to handle his players without letting them slip away and get complacent. My biggest thing, we're talking about development and player development. When you go back and look at the wide receivers, the ceiling is through the roof right now. We're not even close to where we're, you know, where we could be with these guys like Van Jefferson, uh, Swain. You got so much talent on the edge right now. The one thing I've noticed that's helped our run game so much is blocking on the perimeter. And Billy Gonzalez preaches, 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 preaches that you ain't playing. You're not getting the ball if you're not blocking on the perimeter. If I'm a wide receiver, I've got 60 plays a game let's say 89 last week or however many it was because we ran a lot of plays last week. Uh, last week. Most we had all year. <laughs> right. And you, what do you have out of those that are receptions? Who had the leading receptions last week? Three, like four or five, four, maybe. Four, whatever it may have been. And spread right. it around. Right. So that means you got 85 other plays that you have to be making plays on, on the perimeter, helping the team win games, or you're running your routes to open other people up. That's part of the offense. you got to understand your role. What I think Dan Mullins created in the culture is, making guys understand that it's not about you. You drop the ego at the door. It has nothing to do with you. If you guys really telling me you want to win games, here's what it takes to win games. And I expect it every single day. And one thing, you look at that and you bring up the wide receivers and like, look, there's not really we, – we, we, we'll call Van Jefferson the number one receiver, but there's not really a true number one. I mean, they are spreading the ball out. You know, you look at stats-wise, there's not that go-to, go-get-it, you have to go-get-it guy – Running backs are the same way. Michael P. Ryan, Jordan Scarlett, basically identical stats right now so far this season. It's just an overall good offense. You know, I don't think there's one standout player, but they're really, really playing well as a group of 11, whoever is on the field. And you know what? That's okay. Because yeah. when, you look, when you go back and look at championship caliber teams that we had in 06 and 08, you didn't have one standout. Now, mind you, Percy Harvin, there's not going to be another one in the next 20 years, 30 years. The Gator fans got to understand, you're not going to come across a Percy Harvin in recruiting but maybe once every 30 years, a guy who can receive, a guy who can run, you can place him almost anywhere on the field and he's going to be that dynamic athlete. You're going to have to make do with what you got. And until Dan Mullen can get two years of recruiting under his belt, and I'll count last year as the first year, you're not going to come up with one of those guys and what he needs in his backfield or what he wants in his, in his crew. Now, I will say the dynamic in the tight end room, and I joke about this, I'm a little bit biased to tight ends, the dynamic in the tight end room right now, and nobody really talks too much about it, is phenomenal. We haven't had 
five, six tight ends in a tight end room at Florida. I mean, hell, since I was way before I was there, I think we had seven my freshman year and, and four of them were walk-ons. You look at the tight end room, we got five, six guys that are playing every week and they all do something different. They all add some sort of dynamic to the offense that creates the opportunity to win, whether it's up front, whether it's RJ Raymond in the fullback hit position, whether it's Kyle Pitts, whether it's, you know, we look at um, Kroll, who's kind of a jack of all right now, and he's not even developed. He just showed up on campus. You just got all these guys who can actually do something. And in that offense, man, you know, you play slot receiver, wide receiver, hit position, on-ball tight end. You play in the backfield. I mean, hell, there's no limit to what you could possibly do to shake up a defense and give different looks. And that right there is enough to throw a defense off completely. How about Morrill Stevens? I had left him for dead. I've been on transfer watch for him for three years. It's a shame. It is a shame the underdevelopment that that guy's had at the University of Florida, and it's almost criminal. I mean, honestly, to go back and, and think that McElwain probably could have got arrested for that um, is almost a, a tragedy because if you give Nick Savage three years with that guy, he's in the middle. He's, he's dangerous. You know, Siante right. Lewis is dangerous in the middle. We've had so many drop well, – I wouldn't say so many drop balls, but we've had a lot of drop balls – and opportunities at tight end early on this year. And now it's starting to catch on when you see Morrill Stevens and even Siante, those little five-yard outs, wherever you need them, that's all it takes, right? Some guys make their living blocking. R.J. Raymond's a prime example. Some guys make their living catching. If I'm Morrill Stevens, I'm making my living in the red zone. That'd be the one place that I'm dying for in practice every week. I'm going to block my butt off. I'm going to get my opportunity in the red zone. And when I get them, I'm going to take every advantage of them. Well, I think you're kind of making this point. Maybe somebody else can jump in here with their thoughts. But I think that Dan Mullen is still in the process of figuring out what each guy can do. And I think that's been the biggest difference week to week is we're seeing each week he seems to have that one new guy that he's like, finally, okay, that's what he's good at. And then you see it start to come into the game plan. Well, it's either that or it depends on how they're practicing each week too. So what we don't get to see on a weekly basis a lot of times is – What's happening in practice? And I tell man, I tell people all the time who approach me and say, how come Kadarius Tony's not getting touches? How come Pierce isn't getting touches? Just just hold up, hold tight, hold tight, because I guarantee what the culture change is right now is it's about the, the standard. And that standard is you better live up to it in practice if you want to see the field on Saturdays. You better be doing exactly what we ask you to in practice if you want those reps in the game. So I don't criticize too much on who's doing what or maybe he's starting to figure it out. I think he's got a pretty damn good idea of evaluating talent. And, I, and I'll trust that coaching staff to make those decisions based on what happens during the weeks. And so for me to sit here and say so-and-so should be playing or we should see more of this or maybe we hadn't because of this, it's kind of hard for me to judge that because I'm not sitting at practice every week watching film either. It's development. Yeah, I, yeah it, it all does come down to development. You know, it's development. You about, um, what Mullen does really well, it, it's definitely front-end evaluation, but – you know, he's going to need more than a couple games to figure out what everyone does well, especially like, you know, what Tate said, there's five tight ends. They all have bring a very diverse skill set. They're different. They're using different scenarios. You have to think that Mullen is talking to Larry Scott and John Hevesy about what each one does well. And, you know, whether they're going to, uh, what situation they're in, what personnel should be on the field. Um, it was kind of amazing that you really look at the, the opposite, you know, directions that two programs were in when, when Florida meets Kentucky in that second game, I mean, Stoops has been on an upward tra- trajectory for six years, and they made a $70 million investment to that stadium in Kentucky. And, and Dan Mullins in his second game, and, you know, Florida was a few plays away, a few plays going differently from, you know, actually, you know, beating that Kentucky team. And I, I do think that says a lot about, you know, how much he has learned on the job. But 
you know, anyone expecting him to come in right away and, and you know, know how to use Kadarius Tony, like, you know, a, a, you know, a, a jackknife kind of guy. It's kind of unrealistic, um, especially when you uh, you're not going to want to scout, you know, film from a four and seven season that that probably just harms your preparation more than really, you know, enables you to be successful when it comes to your offseason work. So it is kind of impressive that Florida, you know, that's the biggest takeaway. Seven games in Florida is clicking. They, they're they still getting better and they're already the number 11 ranked team in the country. What, what I think is, is real dope right now is when, when when teams scout for us, they can't zone in on one guy, man. Uh, they're getting the ball around, bro. So like like my, like my man um, Tate was saying, bro, I, I haven't seen this since probably like the 08 team where it's like, that's not that dominant guy that takes over games, man. It's just good offense, spreading the ball around, keeping teams off balance. Dan's doing a good job, man. Well, think about that 08 team. It's funny is think about the 08 team. How much depth did you have on the 08 team when you talk about Lewis, you know, Lewis Murphy and the Riley Coopers and the David Nelsons and running back you had, you still had Keystone Moore, you had Jeff Demps, you had Moody, you still had Rainey. You had all these cats that could do whatever you wanted them to do, but everybody did something their own, their own way really good. And they understood that role, right? Like me as a tight end, my role was H back and blocking. Primarily, my whole role was H back and blocking by the time I was a senior. And I was good with that because we understood what the 08 team was about, right? I'm not a, I'm not a 4'6 guy. You know, Hernandez was a 4'6 guy. That's what he did. He was like a receiver. I wasn't built that way, man. I'm a, I'm a six seven white dude. It just ain't the way it goes. <laughs> and a lot of times, you just gotta you gotta find your groove, find what you're good at, and then do it really well and build on that every week in practice. And for us, what these guys that I like to see about this team right here is they're hungry, right? They're hungry. They're motivated because they've never really had that taste of of championship. I look back at the the East championships that we've had in the last three years. Those two East championships. And it kind of makes me laugh at that false hope that McElwain and his staff had about how good we were when you look at the East as a whole in those two years, and it was absolutely terrible. And I hate to say that because obviously I'm a Gator through and through, and I love sitting there watching those games, but the worst thing was coming down to Atlanta and seeing how that shaped out in that SEC title game and knowing that the East was just not that good. Now, I think the East is back. I'm going to tell you right now. I think the East is shaping up to be something special. I think Kentucky's good. I mean, I think that Kentucky loss, you know what? I'll take that on the chin because they can play. The defense is not bad. Their offense is damn good. They can run the football, and that's what you have to do to win games in the SEC. LSU, I said it all all week pre, pre-game and the week before the game, LSU's defense, in order to beat them, you got to make Joe Burrow beat you, and you got to run the football. And we played some good teams. I don't think Mississippi State was a bad team. And it was a great road win. I thought that was one of the, the three games we had to win at least one of was Georgia, LSU, and Mississippi State. And when I equated that 9-10 win season, I was counting on, you know, potentially two out of those three being a loss, one on the road against Mississippi State, possibly LSU at home, or Georgia and Jacksonville. Now we're in a position to shape up Georgia and Jacksonville to be actually propelling us into the back half of the season where we get past that game with a win. And, and there's a great shot that we actually, you know, win 10, possibly even 11 games. No, I would agree. And I'm going to bounce off what Tate said there. I, th- I think the one thing that, that Florida is showing this year that they haven't shown in a long time, and that's confidence in themselves and confidence in their teammates. You know, I think for a long time, this team, if they were down by, you know, 10 points, 14 points, I, I think that you could just assume that the game was over. I know that Florida's lost up until, you know, 
this uh, Vanderbilt game, they lost 15 of the last 16 games uh, where they were down double digits. And the first time that they came back from an 18 point deficit or more uh, was in 2003. And I think Nick said it the other day, this is the first time Florida's ever come back uh, from 18 or more points um, ever uh, against an away team. And I just don't think uh, that any team under Muschamp or McElwain would have had the confidence to do so. They did it against LSU towards the end of the game when they had the, you know, the, the pick six, um, you know, but their backs, you know, were up against the wall. LSU had the ball with, you know, in their defense or their offense, pardon me, was moving um, okay during the, uh, during the game. And LSU had the ball. Florida's only up by a little bit. Um, and they were able to press and, and got the interception and got the touchdown. And then obviously against Vanderbilt coming back. So um, I think that confidence was always a huge missing part of this team. And I think that they're, they're slowly but sure in getting there. Uh, and more importantly, I think this team is finding a way to win and enjoying winning. And I don't think that that's something we've seen uh, since Urban Meyer's been here um, because they're finally seems like they're having fun uh, out there because they're finally getting to experience the kind of the fruit of their hard work. I think a big portion of that is uh, a credit to Nick Savage and his staff when they first got on campus instilling mental toughness. If you can't be mentally tough through a physical workout, like Tate was saying, it's a Mariotti guy, dude, like legit psychopath in the weight room that is what you need in the sec you can't get a better name i think that's an understated understated name name for him for sure nick savage is your name you better be the best strength conditioning coach (laughs) morati morati was more than a psychopath right i want to throw back i want to know what those holidays what were those named workouts like yo Listen, these midnight lifts and this St. Valentine's Day massacre and the Harley Davidson workout. I'm going to tell you right now, Matt. Hey, Drills, you, you got to give a story, man. Yeah, the Matt Drills had crazy rumors, man. I need to hear about the Matt Drills. No, I, so I can't, I can't give you the Matt Drills. <laughs> so listen, there's some, in, there's some in-house stuff that I'll keep in-house, but I'll tell you this. 04 to 05. You talking about filing char- charges earlier, man. It's filing charges going by reality, bro. <laughs> listen. No, 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 hell no! I love Nick Wright. He's, <laughs> by far, he's he's the he's the dude. He will be the goat in my mind until Nick Savage proves otherwise. But listen, oh four to oh five, right? Ron Zook exits, Meyer comes in. They bring this guy Mick Marotti and uh, and Matt Bayless, Bayless, who's now at Notre Dame, and and obviously he's putting his stamp on Notre Dame right now. Oh four to oh five, and I equated this a lot to this team because. Man, we had so much talent from the Zook years. We just we didn't develop. We didn't have the discipline. We didn't have a lot, of, but we had the we had the you know the formula for a good team, and we just weren't quite there yet. Mick Marotti comes in that 05 winter workouts between the Matt drills, the St. Valentine's Day massacre, all these workouts that we were doing was obviously for mental toughness, and, and it's real stuff. When people talk about mental toughness, but we think we thought we were a good team. Like we thought, man, we had, you know, we had talent. We still had Dallas Baker, Bubba Caldwell. We had OJ Smart. Like we had all these guys. And and so like you're talking Chris League, we had so much talent. And it's honestly like, it's almost like you have all the money in the world. You just don't know how in the hell to spend it, right? Like you, you had all this talent and we didn't have a clue what to do with it. We didn't know how to put it together to formulate a winning team or a championship team. I look at this team the same way because you had a coach that exited. And I thought Ron Zook was a good coach. Larry Fedor, we had a great offense that year in 04, right? We, we were just kind of putting the pieces together. So it's a little bit different because I'm not necessarily thinking the same mindset against last year. My point being, 
that 05 winter workouts going into spring ball, just the way we did things and trying to preach this whole culture change or whatever, man, it was something different. And like coming through the 05 workouts into summer, into two days, into, you know, the season, it's almost like we knew how we knew we were going to win possibly eight to 10 games. That was our mindset. Like, you know, we, we're not quite there, but we know we're going to go to a, a decent bowl game. We're going to, you know, we're going to win this. And the sad thing is we should have gone to SEC title game that year. We should be, we should be South Carolina on the road. We're still the worst things ever. We got at, absolutely murdered at Alabama, which is probably the loudest game I'd ever been in on the road. Um, and we had the whole tarmac talk after the South Carolina game, right? We were on the, we were on a plane for an hour after we landed, just getting absolutely ripped about how terrible that road game was and whatever. And you turn a corner into 06. And the funny thing about that was those winter workouts, we did the same thing the next year. It wasn't any different. It was the same workouts. It was the same thing. And for the guys that were on a team in 05 and that spring, the next year, we dude, we were so used to it at that point. It was like, yo, remember when we used to think this was actually like hard? Like this is the grind that we expect now. So like the bar had been set, the standard was there. And we come back the next year and dude, any freshman or incoming guy that didn't like, didn't want to work or didn't want to do this, didn't want to do that. And even when we were recruiting, we we're like, bro, listen, if you ain't coming here to win a championship, go on, go to Florida State. We don't, we don't need you. Just get the hell out. Oh, really? We're not worried about it. If you want to go have like a cush time, and like you know, time, I don't know. It's <laughs> <laughs> no. the wrong word. If you want to go, if you want to go wear like those cool uniforms or whatever the hell that drives somebody out of high school, whatever, go do that because that's not what we're about here. What we're about is getting to this championship, and that's all we were trying to do. Going into the 06 season, the mindset was so strong, and we weren't. We probably weren't still as good as we wanted to be. But you couldn't tell us anything about how many games we were going to win that year because to us it was like do or die. There's no way we're not winning the championship. And that's what mental toughness would do for you in the offseason because Mick Marotti was the reason we had that mindset. And we won it. We won it in April, in March. You know, we won it back in the spring. It wasn't in the, it wasn't in the football season, man. We had that one way before. And practices were so damn hard. By the time you got to the game, it was about the easiest thing you ever did because of bloody Tuesdays in practice, full pads. Hey, where do you think this team's at with regards to that, just kind of that mentality? So, but my thing is the confidence, right? You're trying to turn over a very gentle mindset team, right? Because from what they came from is a complete 180 to where they are right now in terms of what kind of culture you're trying to preach to these guys. So you have to have the ability as a coach, which I think Dan's done a freaking phenomenal job of being able to talk to his players in a certain way that they relate to, they understand without breaking them mentally, you know, not breaking them down. He's building them up, right? He's going to jump. He's going to jump their ass if they make a mistake, but it's going to be backed up with boom, 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 boom. And it's because this is what it takes to win championships. And this is the standard. If you don't like the standard, I'm going to sign off. You can go to Valdosta State. You can go up the road to Georgia Southern. You go do you, whatever, if that's not what you want. But if you're telling me you want to win a championship, then you better bring it and I'm going to expect you to. And if not, guess what? There's two other four stars behind you that are ready to jump in that position. And I can promise you they're itching to take your job. Yeah, I think where we can see this, guys, look, Florida has won in every – and already a 6-1 and one record. has They've won 
with every which way imaginable. The, the opener, they, they blew out five touchdowns for Felipe Franks. Then they bounced back after a loss to Kentucky where special teams played, played a role. They didn't have a lot of players on offense. Then you go to Tennessee and win with six turnovers. Then you go to Mississippi State. You don't get those same turnovers, but your defense is lights out and, and you make the big plays when you have to. Then you go toe-to-toe with a top-five heavyweight you know, bout with LSU, you win that game. And then this week, you you this past week, you get down 21 to three and you come back victory. So it just at, at six and one, Florida's had every imaginable scenario type of win that you can have. And they've already and they've already done it that way. So that speaks to uh, the mental toughness. I, I think that's a real big sign of being able to win in a whole myriad of ways, Zach. Quick quick real quick. Yep. Was I the only one not nervous when we was down 21 three? No, I wasn't either. Yeah, I was cool, bro. Like, I don't know. Like, I guess I probably got some Nick Savage workouts myself, bro, because I was cool, dog. 21-3, I was watching the game. They really wasn't doing much. And I just felt like we was going to dominate them the second half and pull it out, bro. I was I was chilling, man. Well, listen, it's good that it's good you were chilling because, I, I, I mean, obviously everyone's been talking about what Mullen's done. Um, everyone can agree that they've, they've improved at a bunch of positions. They've improved schematically. They've improved physically. Um, but the thing that I go, and I think they've improved as a program too, with how Mullen runs things and what they're trying to do with recruiting. Um, but it it's, it starts and ends with a mentality. That's the one thing I've heard a lot of you guys say. I've heard confidence. I've heard mentality. I've heard mental toughness. That to me is where this team needed it the most and, and what he's really brought to the table that's made a difference. Because I, I point to two things. I think everybody would agree, um, even with that loss to Kentucky, which is crazy to say that um, when you think about what that, that meant historically, even with that, given the way that that LSU game went, I think that it's safe to say the swamp is back or that it can be back. And that's something that Dan Mullen created without a doubt. Um, and if the swamp can get back to that level and stay like that for every home game, um, that creates and, and breeds confidence with those players because I was on the field for the first time and I felt it. I mean, that was an incredible atmosphere. So you got the swamp and, and kind of home base taken care of. But here's where it really gets impressive because, Silk, you talked about not being worried in that game. Um, Florida's undefeated in SEC road games uh, this season. The only first-year Florida coach – or that's the first-year Florida coach to do that since Galen Hall. Spurrier didn't do it. Ron Zook didn't do it. Urban Meyer had three losses on the road, SEC, his first year. Uh, McElwain didn't do it. Muschamp didn't do it. There's only been three coaches uh, in, in school history that have done it, Mullen, Galen Hall, and Ray Graves. Uh, so to go on the road in the SEC and go undefeated your first year, especially inheriting a 4-17, and 17, to me that speaks mental toughness. That speaks the mentality that's been changed and the confidence that they have now when they go on the road and they can come back from down 18, which is another historically amazing thing that they've done this season. I think players just understand now that they have to earn it, that it's not given to them. You don't just show up and wear that Florida logo and all of a sudden, you know, you're a Gator. There's work that goes into that that I think this team is really starting to understand. Yeah, obviously that buy-in is always going to take a little bit of time. You're talking about guys who, you know, last year were – you know, a few plays away from not even winning four games. I mean, people forget how close that, you know, the the, the Tennessee and, and the Kentucky games were last year. This was almost a two-win team. And to see how quickly they've bought in and, and to believe that, 
you know, they could be, uh, you know, one of the best teams in the SEC is remarkable. And it's, you know, a testament to Dan Mullen arriving and striking the perfect balance between saying, prove we're not where we are, we need to rebuild, while also reinforcing positivity and saying, hey, but if we do these things, we can be good enough. Just, you know, it's not, uh, you know, he gave them a light at the end of the tunnel, because if you believe that you're you know, your development is too far off that, you know, kind of curbs it in a sense. And I think you do have to give, you know, Mullen a lot of credit, not only for striking that balance, but players for, you know, buying in and not buying in and not giving up when a lot of people were writing them off as, as recently as back in August. I mean, I remember you, we all did this panel, you know, in, in prior to the season, you know, two months ago, and it comes out. And I think a lot of us, you know, did say that Florida would finish with a winning record. I said nine and three, some said nine and three, but the consensus was kind of, you know, you guys are homers. What are you thinking? And now Florida's sitting here at the bye week, six and one, you know, guaranteed to go to a bowl game while the rest of the state is down. And, you know, I think it's a testament to a lot of people not only seeing what they did in the offseason, but it absolutely, you know, them living up to what they said, which, you know, you just had a coach in Jim McElwain who said that he could win any game with Claire Bowes as quarterback. It's kind of refreshing when you're not only a media, but a fan of the program to, to see a coach say something and then, you know, go out and, and, and you know, practice what he preaches. Because he, he probably can win with, win with uh, Max Puppy, bro. To be honest, Man, why you got what did Clarabelle ever do to y'all? She, she got nothing. <laughs> let, 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 let me add one thing to that about the Clarabelle comment. Because Frank's, I mean, let's be honest. That's the one concern or question mark, whatever you want to call it, that pretty much everybody had going into the year, and even myself, um, it was like wondering what what is he going to do with this guy how is he going to make it work what's he going to get out of him and I think for myself probably all you guys people that have been in the media and then certainly Florida fans as a whole their thought process of Dan Mullen and working with quarterbacks so many people in that realm associated with what we saw at Florida which was Chris Leak and Tim Tebow and he didn't really have to work with a guy and develop a guy at Florida, like he did at Mississippi State. So for me, I mean, yeah, I know what he did with the Bulldogs, but I, I didn't really see it up close and personal. Um, and I saw Frank's up close and personal and thought like many people, how's this guy going to get fixed? Um, but you think about what Dan Mullen did at Mississippi State with all those quarterbacks he had, guys that were probably in worse shape than Felipe Frank's was in a lot of areas. Uh, and, you know, the productive passers that he's turned them into, that's, that's, that's really changed the trajectory of where the season has gone, this offense has gone, and, and where Florida's quarterback position is going. Because on top of Frank's doing everything that he's doing, their quarterback recruiting is pretty much solved for the next couple of years uh, because of the commits that they've landed. Well, let's not forget the fact that he's just a damn good coach, right? I mean, we sometimes we look at the quarterback and we look at all these positions. When you start thinking about it, Dan Mullen is good at what he does. He's a I mean, look at, look, at, look at Fitz right now in Mississippi State. Yeah, he's, he's, good at what, he's good at what he does, right? He, he, he's one of those guys that he sees what he sees. He puts a defense in a position right where he needs them to be, and he's able to call plays accordingly. There's no, there's no like, just magic formula that you can toss into a bowl with a lot of coaches and get them to do the same production. It's not always about the quarterback as much as it is about the offensive unit, right? And, and Dan's alluded to the fact that they're not, they're, they're not separate entities. Everything works together as a whole. Dan's philosophy is very similar to what we had when I was at Florida. You had every aspect of the game, right? Play great on special teams, play great defense, win in the red zone, win the turnover battle. Those are four most important things in a formula to win championships. 
right? When you think about last week, we did none of those four really well for the first time all season, but they found a way to win the game. Now that's where your mental toughness and your talent takes over. They found a way to grind out the second half and the coaching took over at half times to make those adjustments for the players. Maybe we didn't put them in the best position to win, et cetera. My biggest thing is if they continue to do those four things good every week, and we've got the bye week coming up, going into Georgia, you correct those mistakes with the fundamentals. You go back to the basics, which they're doing in practice this week. You win that Georgia game, and we talk about bringing back the swamp to what it used to be. Win that Georgia game. Players win that Georgia game. They put themselves in a position, and it's all about them. They put themselves in a position to be relevant for the rest of this season, and you're on a downhill in the back end of the season at home. I know you're new to this right now, Tate, but there, you better not disrespect that punter ever again. He had an 18-yard run. <laughs> Who's that, who that, Tommy Townsend? That, that's, a, that's a win on special teams. When the punter yeah. lowers yeah. it, I mean, he didn't, get, he didn't get his pads low enough. His but, da- listen, his dad, I tell his dad, every time I see his dad, I say, I keep, I keep pressing him about living up to Johnny. And he goes, don't ever stop doing that. And I joked <laughs> with Tommy the other day. He came off two weeks ago with a 35-yarder, and I looked at him and I go, 35, huh? And I'm on a headset. He's like 35, huh? And he goes, No, no, Tate, no, Tate. As as Nick said, you don't understand. Like you're talking to Johnny Townsend's Heisman campaign. Yeah, Nick's weird about uh, coordinator, bro. And Very soon, strange. And soon <laughs> to be, and soon to be Tommy Townsend's. Yeah, Nick's weird about kickers. Hey, Nick, let me give you the insight. Not with 35 yarders. We can't let, keep let me that. give you the insight on kickers. All right, the, the golden rule is don't spoke unless spoken to. All right, so like, is it, if if you run an 18 yard run, and I will give you this. Kickers are weird. Punters are people too. Kickers are just weird. The dude changed the game last week though. And I would give him mad props because I love Tommy Townsend as a player. But when you go 18 yards, not only go 18 yards, you don't get lit up and fall straight to the ground and flail around for a couple of times. He tried to drop his head on dude, bro. He drugged the pile about 11 yards sideways. Not only that, he held on to the football. And not only that, he mugged the whole Vanderbilt sideline for about 10 seconds afterwards. Hit him, Tate. He had me when, when Derek Mason come off the sideline and, and they were doing the whole deal with Grantham and everything else. Boy, I was looking for the Vanderbilt radio guy. I was ready to roll. I was oh, you're trying to square up? Yo, my checkers versus your checkers. We got it. Let's, Let's go. go. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go. I can promise you. Hey, hey Grantham hoping. is about that life. Oh, dude. I can tell. About that life. Hey, Derek Mason didn't want none of Mullen either because he looked like he was about to go ballistic for a second. I'm here for it, bro. I didn't, uh, I didn't know you guys had that type of fight, but I'm here for it, bro. <laughs> hey, hey, you, 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 were on, you were on the field. We're, t- we're talking about kickers. How uh, how, uh, how close was that McPherson quote-unquote miss? The, the Kentucky? Yeah. Dude, I had the best. So I had an unfavorable angle against him, and it looked good. And I was so mad about that call because I'm sitting there going, are you kidding me? I'm standing like at a bad angle, and it still looked inside. And then I watched the replay when I broke down the film the next week, and I'm going – are you, that's unbelievable. And now I look back and I go, he'd be 100% right now for the yeah. season on field goals and extra points. I would say this, that guy is about as calm, cool, and collected as you would ever want out of a kicker. And the fact that he's a true freshman is almost astounding to me. He's a Bama boy, ha- man. Well, I'm just listen, happy we're not chanting his name. I, I said LSU game, there's going to be one of these big games is going to come down to him getting his number called. I thought LSU game was going to be one of those. Obviously, it turned out the way it did. I think Georgia – South Carolina, Mizzou, one of those three games is going to come down to Evan McPherson putting a game winner on somebody. And I hope, honestly, for him, for his sake, I hope it's the Georgia game. Uh, I don't want it to be that close, but if there ever is a moment, I would love for it to be Georgia. 
Uh, I wanted to get back to, to the Kentucky game because I think after the game, um, Mullen said something like, you know, it's almost better that we didn't go down and, and win that game because then it kind of masked the problems. And, and at the time I'm sitting there thinking, no, idiot, you don't want to lose to Kentucky. They haven't done that in 30 years. You, you, it's not good. Now you have a bigger problem. You lost to Kentucky. Um, and, and Tate can probably speak to it being in the locker room what the mood was there. But I think that if Florida beats Kentucky somehow that way, I don't know if they're 6-1 and one right now. Because I think the mood, now, the mood was, what the hell is Adarius Lemons doing? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that, yeah, yeah. big, big move. Yeah, that was a that's big cool. move. I'm not talking uh, on that either. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> or, yeah. or another podcast. And, Talk about and, that on the roll up. So, yeah, and the way it played out, and the way it played out, are we even sure? Um, uh, David Reese, uh, yeah, David Reese, CC Jefferson, and you know, Marco Wilson went down. They were, but you were basically down, uh, three defensive starters. Are we even sure if those guys would have played if the result would have been that much different at the time? I think Reese, yeah, definitely. I yeah, think pro- probably with Reese, but I think mentally, I think what, what, exactly what we're talking about is it was kind of a wake up call. So, it would even those guys on the field would it have really made that much of a difference? And now, it, look, it was still a game. You, you got ran over. You got ran on for over 300 yards, but you still had a chance late uh, to to try and, and pull that game out. So, it, you know, I, I do question if those guys would have played, and even if they would have played, and you come out with a victory, would that still it, that goes back to the point Nick brought up where it it masked you feeling good about yourself after that win? Well, I tell you what, I think it was a big wake up call for the defense because obviously the defense responded in a way against run or against a run on a run, run defense aspect. My biggest thing is, I think what Mullen's alluding to in that in that situation is, listen, when we go turn the, we're still gonna have a laundry. Somebody can jump in. I think takes froze up. Yeah, I think um, kind of what I was getting at there was, uh, if you look at those like before and after pictures when they first started doing the workouts in the spring, and I think when you show players that, and hey, this is only a month. And look how much you've changed. Okay, well, if I wasn't bought in before, now I am. And I think Dan Mullen was not happy with the way they practiced prior to Kentucky. And if you go ahead and you end up winning that game, pulling it out, they come back on Sunday, Monday, and say, hey, you practiced terrible. Here's what you need to do. It's, well, I'm not listening to you because we won the game. So I'm going to go out and practice just like I did last week. So it was just another way to show you, hey, this is what you did on the field Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and that's what happened on Saturday. So I think just from a mental aspect and a buying in aspect, it was another learning lesson for them. So that's where I, I say like, hey, if you get punched in the mouth by LSU, if you had won that game against Kentucky, do you do you roll over like you would have last year, or, or do you still fight back? And, and I, I don't I don't know if it like if it would have meant the rest of the season was going to go down because I think Vanderbilt was the same thing. I mean, we got down twenty one. Right. And they came back. I think they learned something from that. You can learn from being down and coming back as well. Mm-hmm. Need a loss to learn. So I don't. I don't know if it would have. I mean, honestly, I'm not a loss, man. It is what it is at this point. They grew from it. Mm-hmm. So if we had won it, had we not good right now? What I'm trying to say. Here's one interesting point about those losses, though, is uh, or, or, or really all the games when you think about it. Uh, you know, Kentucky, Florida loses to Kentucky, and everyone kind of dismisses Florida because the, the perception was that Kentucky's not a good team. Well, look where they're at now. Then they go on the road and beat Tennessee, school record 47 points. Everyone says, well, Tennessee's awful. And maybe they are, but they just won at Auburn. Then they go and beat Mississippi State, and everybody says, well, 
you know, Mississippi State, they're, they're not what they, they were, you know, with that damn moment. Then they come back that next week and get a, a big win uh, against the Tigers. And then, then they play LSU, and we'll see where they're at. But when Florida beat LSU, you even heard that narrative of, you know, maybe the Tigers aren't as good as everyone says. And then they go out the next week and beat Georgia. So I mean, they're still doing it. I mean, they had like we didn't yeah. So you told ESPN, you think we didn't beat LSU, bro? Like they're hyping that team up, like, and they're not even speaking of you up, man. I like it like that, though. Let's fly under the radar, man. Let's go. I think last last thing on that Kentucky game. I think uh, you know as much as we've given Dan Mullen a lot of credit for kind of turning this Florida team around, you got to credit Florida's players because, like, you know, Nick kind of hit on it. We weren't sure last year if these guys would have just kind of folded after a loss like that, and I think clearly they haven't done that, and that that speaks to some character in the players as well that deserves a lot of praise. All right, Silk uh, sent some uh, some topics he wanted to talk about here, and uh, um, I had another question as well, so we'll see if we can hit that uh, after this. But uh, midseason MVP on both sides of the ball and maybe your most improved player. You could either be your overall most improved player or most improved player on both sides of the ball there. Uh, I think, one, you know, it might be some – it might be obvious to some, uh, but not obvious to, to others, I guess. You know, we could – we'll probably change it up if we get the same answer from here on out. But uh, uh, who wants to go first on this one? I'll go first. All right. Most improved. So. Uh, most improved? Uh, that, that was a little tough. I'm going to go um, Boshan Joseph. Okay. Um, uh, I think he improved a lot from last year. Uh, flying around, ta- actually tackling guys. He started off a little rough, but – Last few games, he's been uh, turning it on. I could have went with Chelsea as well, but I'm going to go with Goshan. Yeah, that, that, that was my two. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, offense, uh, I'm going to go <laughs> Ivy. I mean, he's been rough, and we gave him a hard time the first few games, but overall, man, he, he's looking good, man. He's getting some pancakes. He's looking aggressive. I'm going to go with Martez Ivy. And on um, defense, I'm going to go with Goshan, most improved. And yeah, uh, yeah. go ahead, Zach. <clears throat> I would say for, uh, I mean, most improved, I'm going to be the first to say, because, I mean, come on. I mean, Frank's, yeah. um, what he's done, it's really hard to find anyone else on offense that's been Absolutely. more improved than him. Um, defensively, I would go, I would probably go Chauncey Gardner-Johnson um, as most improved. I, I really think he's made a big jump from his sophomore season. Uh, as far as defensive MVP, 99 all the way because yep. um, mm-hmm. he's going to re- he's going to retire moms at the end of the season. <laughs> Absolutely. And then offensive MVP, you know, there hasn't really been a lot of go to guys or a go to guy. But I would say offensive MVP wise, I'm going to go with P. Ryan. I, I, I think he's probably been um, the most consistent back, especially here the last few weeks. Uh, I know him and Scarlett have identical numbers, but um, he's come up big for the Gators uh, in, in the run game. I love that speed option play. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think did, especially after that LSU game, I think that was the one thing that, that that gave us a little bit of change of momentum. There was that speed option minus the one that got called back. Yeah. I'll tell you what, I'll give you my most improvement. It, it, it's going to be between Chauncey Gardner Johnson and, and Felipe Franks to be the two toss ups, and mainly just because the tackling and the effort that Chauncey Gardner Johnson has given this year versus last year is night and day um, in in terms of going out and getting it. My defensive MVP. It, that's hard, right? With what we have on defense right now, the hardest part is on the defensive front. I, I agree. Voshan Joseph, man, is getting it. I love watching the cat play because he's a grinder. But it, it, between him, Ja'Kai Polite, and Jabari Zuniga, those three guys right there have a motor, and all three of them, they can flick it on with a switch. Uh, and on offense, I'll go with P. Ryan as well because P. Ryan, I mean, 
it's not to take away from anything Jordan Scarlett's done. Both guys have their way of doing things, but it's just the way he runs. It's a downhill mentality. Um, we, we've got some good running backs. I, I freaking I love P Ryan. I love watching Scarlett. I love watching um, Pierce. All three of those guys have the ability to get downhill and make moves quick. My biggest thing is we have so much ceiling at the wide receiver and offensive line position. We haven't even tapped into the potential what this offense is capable of, which gives us all light at the end of the tunnel for next year and the year following. Yeah, me and Zach hopped on that uh, that uh, Damian Pierce hype train real hard in preseason. I think I think you guys kind of seen some flashes of what we was trying to trying to uh, hint at. But um, I'm gonna say MVP. I didn't do my MVP. My MVP. I'm gonna go with Fred Swain offense. Uh, just because he's he, every game he's coming up with a big play, whether it's punt return. Uh, clutch catch, blocking or whatever. So offense, I'm going to just go with uh, Freddie Swain just to switch it up a little bit. Uh, defensive MVP is hard not to go with 99, dogs. Um, I think it's everybody defensive MVP, but I'm going to go with Brad Stewart. Just switch it up a little bit. I think yeah, I, I was going to say that that was going to be my, uh, uh, you know, uh, my most improved on defense is going to be Brad Stewart. I mean, you look at where he was at in that Kentucky game to where he came just two games later, you know, making big plays against Tennessee and Mississippi State. He seemingly has got better every single week. Um, and, and that's a guy who, you know, if you follow recruiting, he's someone that you looked at as someone who could have made a very early impact um, for Florida. But once he got, you know, a proper strength and conditioning program, got a good defensive backs coach and started being used right, um, you're seeing why this was a guy that they didn't want to leave the Pelican State for a long time. Well, and uh, you, you want me to do the rest of mine, or you you want to hop in there, Corey? Sorry. Oh no, I'm done, bro. I've done my MVP and improved, man. I'm... Yeah, and then I, I'm going to agree with you. Then with Jakai Belight, that he's got to be the defensive MVP. I mean, who who was sitting there watching that game on Saturday and thinking, you know, that he was held on every single other play? Um, him and Jabari Zaniga have come a very very long way. Even though you saw, you looked at their motor the last two seasons, and it it, it seemed that these were guys who just needed you know, someone who could tinker the little things for them before they could, you know, break through that ceiling. And we're seeing that uh, come to life in front of our eyes. And then, you know, on offense, I'm going to have to go with um, most improved. I'm going to have to go with Moral Stevens. I mean, he's made huge contributions. Like I said earlier that, you know, if, if a big play has been needed, that Felipe Franks has been in there every single time. But the one time that it hasn't happened was Arias Tony through the 20-yard trick play on that one touchdown for Florida that Moral Stevens caught. He caught touchdowns in multiple games. Um, you know, I, I think that this is saying this is the odd man out. They have, you know, multiple four stars, Kamari Gamble, Kyle Pitts at a program that hasn't had any tight end production in a decade and was still able to get consistent top tight ends in there. And the one guy that didn't come in with a lot of acclaim is making the biggest impact right now. And I, I would have to give him a lot of credit Any giving him not giving him credit is a disservice right now. So and then, you know, on offensive line, Jawan Taylor. I think that he is one of those guys who's overshadowed. He absolutely dominated against Vanderbilt on Saturday, and he people aren't really talking about it very much. And, you know, he, he's someone who has come a very, very long way as well and is going to make a lot of money in the NFL. Right. Tyler, Dan, and then Thomas. So my my MVP, I don't think I want to go one side or other side. I think it's just the whole team. It's the coaching staff and, and the strength team, Savage and his crew. That's the total difference I see in this team, mental toughness brought on by Mullen and obviously Savage and his crew. That's the MVP. Um, most improved offense, super easy to say Frank. So sure, it's Frank's. Uh, Moral Stevens was my other one. So Graham just said that. He's getting it done over the middle. He's getting it done in the red zone. On defense, um, 
most improved, everybody keeps saying the same thing. I'd probably say Trey Dean. Trey had to get thrown in there real early after uh, Marco went down. And a lot of our fan base thought maybe real early, let's get six out there. Let's let him play some ball. And um, the last two weeks, I think Trey Dean has been excellent, super physical, and making plays out there. He, he's not, he didn't really get targeted against Vanderbilt. I think he's come a long way in the short time he's been on the campus. Can we say let's? Can we at least talk about the DBs real quick? Because as thin as we thought we were going to be in the back end, our past defense has been phenomenal in the last five games. Trey Dean is one of those guys at the first of the year that I watched in practice the first week of practice, and and I was talking to Vernell Brown, and Vernell told me he's like, "Yo, that cat right there is going to be a household name in the next two years. He is for real." Him and Jeremiah Moon were the two people that I was told as young cats are going to be household names in the next two years. And dude, he's he's a go getter. The cat can, I mean, he can go get straight out. I think our DBs have been pretty damn awesome in the last four games, considering what we thought we were going to be in a certain position with the, you know, as thin as we were. They've stepped up. I mean, they've kind of answered the bell as, as much as we talk about DBU for these young guys to come in and step up. It's been pretty refreshing. Yeah, Chad Chad Wilson told me the same thing about Dean. So, all right, Dan, uh, I'm going to hop in. Uh, I'm just going to quickly say I have uh, P Rines. P Ryan's P Ryan, uh, Jakai Polite. Um, but I'm going to go on the opposite side of the ball or on the third side of the ball, just because everybody's kind of talked about uh, the offense and the defense. I'm going to say that Evan, Mc, Evan McPherson uh, is a huge part of this team. Uh, him being hundred uh, percent on uh, extra points. And I'm going to say hundred percent on field goals. I know he missed one, um, but he is such a vast important part of me. He's such an important part of this, this team. Uh, we've seen it the last two years. Uh, with Eddie Pinheiro doing well. Uh, but before that, we saw what a gap and not having a good kicker will do uh, and how that can really derail a team. And I know that Tate earlier said uh, that, um, you know, he wants to see uh, McPherson uh, win the game for a team or he want, really wants to see that. But I think that he stood on his head as a, as a true freshman going in uh, and kicking uh, at Neyland Stadium and kicking in important kicks against LSU and a few other teams. Uh, I think that that's, uh, that's huge. Uh, and then I'm going to say Freddie Swain. I know Silk touched on him uh, briefly on offense. Oh. But, uh, um, I, I'm going to say that on special teams, he's been huge. He had the touchdown um, and he has – I think I saw 188 yards uh, of punt return this season uh, so far. And he had the uh, the touchdown, which was important, but he also had that really long turn against Vanderbilt, or return against Vanderbilt. Uh, and I think that that return is ultimately then what sparked uh, the James Houston hit, which then spawned, uh, you know, Mason and Grantham and Mullen all yelling at each other, which I think was really important to this team. I know that that was kind of an unintended consequence of that, uh, but I think that Swain and uh, McPherson are a huge part of this team as well. Hey, you reading documents down? I see you looking down. You got documents? Yeah, yeah, a whole bunch of them. I, Bill <laughs> sent them to me. Big that guy. <laughs> All right, Thomas. Yeah, I mean, I won't take a whole lot of time. My two are uh, P. Ryan and, and Polite uh, as the most valuable guys on each side. Uh, I think Chauncey's probably been the most improved for me. Um, one other guy I'll give a little bit of love to, uh, I think Tyler Jordan has really kind of improved in the last mm-hmm. couple weeks. Um, he's the, actually the only offensive lineman out of those six guys that hasn't been penalized yet. So I think that's a positive, and, and the fact that we're not seeing him quite as much uh, is usually a pretty good sign on those offensive linemen. Yeah, as far as the MVPs go for me, Polite and Franks, uh, we talked uh, ad nauseum about Franks earlier, so I'll let it go from there. But Polite, not only it, not only the stats, but it's 
it's the it's the plays that he's making. They're huge plays in the fumble. We know the fumbles and that he's causing these quarterbacks. These are game changing plays when he's back there hitting the quarterback or back there behind the line of scrimmage. So that's one reason. Uh, another reason I'll pick Polite up back there. But Vasan Joseph, Chauncey Gardner Johnson, definitely the most improved for me is. Look, those guys right now are leading the team in tackles. And I don't think, you know, if we would have went back before the season started, or we go back to uh, what we were talking about this team uh, last year and the problems that they were having, we would have never had these two guys being up uh, there leading this team in tackles right now. So uh, I think as far as stats go and as far as the type of stats that we look for and maybe most improved, that's why I pick out those guys there. Uh, Dave, let me jump in real quick. The only reason I had to keep looking down on this this piece of paper over here is because I kept writing down names and then you guys all kept saying them. Uh, the one name that I wrote down that I forgot to mention was uh, CJ Henderson. I know that obviously he has very high expectations. He did really well as a true freshman, um, but he has been locked down on completely closing down one half of the field. So um, as a guy that now has a lot of pressure on him to keep uh, that entire uh, half of the field locked down so that they can have an additional safety help or linebacker help uh, helping Trey Dean or, or CJ McWilliams or whoever might be on that other side. Um, I think that he's played outstanding as well. Yeah, he's just locked down over there, man. Business as usual. Uh, nobody's throwing to that side a whole lot. So he goes a little unrecognized, man. But that side is locked down. It's also his mentality and his personality. He doesn't he's care. laid back. He's out Chill. there to do his job, and he's laid back, and he's going to get paid. All right, guys, where would we like to see this team get better? We know uh, bye week, got the Georgia game, Missouri, South Carolina, Idaho, FSU. I know Florida's still going to have to continue to improve week by week if they if they want to to, to get uh, to Atlanta. You know, first first and foremost, it's, it's beating Georgia, uh, but they will have to probably get better in some areas as well. So, where would you like this team uh, to get better from here on out? Uh, I'm gonna go with run defense. Um, we just have laps in games where we give up chunk yardage, man. So I just want to uh, true up some tackling and, and pretty much just stay in our run lanes and take care of business uh, with the backers, man. They're looking good, but we do give up chunk yardage sometimes and, and, and have bad laps in games. So just run defense. I'll pick up on that one because I think a big part of what can help there is the uh, the back end angles. We're seeing some mm-hmm. of those angles by the safeties, especially on that play where Twitter loved to blame Grantham's blitz when it, they, he, brought, he brought four and they hit for 75 on the screen Vanderbilt. All three of the DBs screwed that play up royally. Yeah. They had bad angle from Stewart. Uh, 31 ran into somebody. I mean, there, there was angles and, and just bad stuff all over. So you clean up those angles and, uh, wrap up some folks. That's what you probably have to see on the back end in the run game better. That's what the bye week's for, right? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I'd probably say consistency and that might go along with, with everything that you guys say. And it's cause you see it happen. You see him play good run defense. You see him take good angles, but it's just the consistency. And then you get beat for a 75 yard play. So I think that's, Probably the thing I'd want to see, just a more consistent yeah. team, probably in, in all phases. Yeah, and I, I'm going to agree with that with Nick. You know, I, you know, when he talked to the guys the other day, they said that the thing they were working on was getting those younger guys in because the, the fact of the matter is they're very inexperienced. And the only way you can fix consistency is to get some repetition in there. And this is a very, very young team. I think the only thing that they need to do is no radical overhauls or anything like that. They just need to keep working at what they're doing and – you know, that those little things will come because you're looking at a linebacker unit, a secondary that is, you know, freelancing at times because they're trying to make up for inexperience. And, and as, as you know, they, they progress in the system, they're, they're going to get a lot better in that sense. So I don't think they really need to overhaul anything. They just need to keep working in, in doing what they're doing. 
I think the biggest thing for me and, and you know, touched on a while ago was run defense, mainly on the interior defensive line. That's the, the biggest thing I see is limiting, uh, limiting big plays, whether it be interior defensive line and also containment issues that we can work fundamentally, right? Last week, we had a couple of containment issues that led to big plays, but interior, interior run game has hurt us at times, not anything that was overwhelming or that beat us, but it's something we need to polish up. The other I'd say is beating man coverage at the wide receiver position mm-hmm. because we're in the SEC, because we play against LSUs of the world, the Alabamas of the world. When you cross paths with those teams that play sound defense, especially in man coverage, they can put a heartache on you really quick if you cannot beat man coverage. And with a quarterback like Felipe Franks and a, you know an offensive line that's not necessarily where we need to be, two and a half seconds to throw the football, you have to be able to win those man coverage matchups. We've got the talent. I think the biggest thing is Billy Gonzalez and, and continues to kind of grind those guys out in practice, work the fundamentals. And then um, lastly, I really think my biggest thing is continue to get after the quarterback, pound that because that's our, that's our that's our meal ticket on defense, right? That's what allows us in the back end to be so sound, allows some of these young guys to play as well as they do. When you get after the quarterback and you limit his ability to process his reads, that helps us so much on defense and, and just continue to do what you do with Todd Grantham. Be aggressive. It allows him to kind of open up his playbook without having to be conservative. And that's really our big thing. Aside from that, the rest of it's going to be offseason work. You're not going to change an offensive line overnight. You're not going to, you know, you're not going to kind of hone these guys into what you want them to be right away. It takes, you know, a year, year and a half of development. I really look next year, man, it's going to be a big year for us. You're going to have one full recruiting class under your belt. You're not going to have much excuses in the recruiting game, but you're also going to have another year of coaching staff, another year of development under Nick Savage. Those guys are going to do great things in the next year. But that, that's what I look for in the immediate future, especially over the bye week when you go into a Georgia team that's great on defense. That can beat you. But I look at us and get after the quarterback. You've got to make Jake Fromm win the game with his arm. We have to be able to play run defense against Georgia have a chance to win that game. Hey, Thomas. Thomas, I want, yeah, I want you to speak on this because I've seen you speak on it on social media and uh, the 24-7 board here. But, you know, the inside of that, uh, the, the interior of that defensive line, it's been asked, you know, of Collins, Slayton, what's happened with those guys? And now we've seen the, the emergence of Schuler uh, and, and the other guys uh, there. So, you know, if you, if you can extend on that, and then also give your thoughts on where this team can also get better. Yeah, I think the biggest thing I see there, particularly with those young guys, Slayton and Conliffe, is just they've got to get better at disengaging from blocks at the point of attack. Um, you know, I think that generally they're doing a decent job holding up at the point, uh, but you don't see them shed as much as they need to to be able to slow down the play in the, in the hole there. Um, so, you know, I, I think everybody hit kind of on the X's and O's parts, especially the run defense. That's kind of my one concern. Uh, what I want to see more from Florida over the next five games is are they going to get satisfied? Because right now they're six and one. There's a lot of hype coming their way, a lot of praise. I think this team is perfectly capable of going in and beating Georgia. Um, do they get to a point where that starts to be enough, you know, where they feel like they've made it? You know, we got there in the, in the SEC championship in 2015 and Florida players were frank after that. They just were happy to be there. And that cannot be the mindset at Florida. You know, the mindset can't be, okay, we beat Georgia. You know, we're in charge in the SEC East race. We're good. No, that's, that's, that's not what you have to do to maintain success at this level. Um, and I'm not fully convinced yet that Florida is at that point. Um, I think that, you know, the next five games will go a long way toward us knowing whether or not they're starting to take that next step mentally under Dan Mullen. But you, Zach? Yeah, a few things <clears throat> like a lot of what you guys said. Um, I would definitely say a defensively, um, you know, just gap assignments and, and making sure that stuff gets cleaned up, uh, which which you can do during the bye week. 
what Thomas said about how, how do you handle, um, you know, things going your way. And as McElwain used to say, your belly getting rubbed. Um, I don't know why he said that, <laughs> but I, you know, the analogy works. I mean, you know, they are going to get a lot of hype now and they go from being the underdog to if they beat the dogs, now they're the hunted and they're the top 10 team. They're the, the team with the target on their back. How do they handle that? You know, it goes back to the mental toughness and the mentality and um, the, you know, how you handle confidence and, and the way that you approach, um, you know, getting the job done and, and taking care of a business trip when you got to go on the road. So they've shown that they can, they can do all those things. Um, and then offensively, just to nitpick because they've been so good um, or should I say so good? They've been so improved. I would, I would still say though, that just pass protection um, and pass selection, I guess you could say, or just pass efficiency, you know, Felipe being smarter about the football. And I think some of the, you know, uh, errant throws and, and plays that have gone wrong in the passing game this season have have especially if we go back looking on tape and seeing some of the comments by Mullen they're, they're not all on Franks a lot of them have been protection issues that the line needs to clean up but those guys have been getting better every week I think they arguably had their best game of the of the year last Saturday so I think they've done a good job but for Franks man um you know, where he's at in his development and trying to learn this offense and progress as a passer, it's fine that this is something that he's still working on. But just, you know, being a little bit more quicker with those decisions, a little bit smarter about where he goes with the football and a little bit more careful with his passes. He's, he's had the five interceptions, but he's had a lot more that could have been picked off. And he's very fortunate that they didn't get caught. So, um, you know, just things like that you don't want to have moving forward, especially if you're trying to go and win a championship. All right, I got one more. And Tate, you said you had something else here, but mine's, mine's the DB spot opposite of Henderson to get to a little more consistency there. We saw McWilliams get beat early on, picked on in that LSU game. You know, they figured some things out there and, and they shored that up. So, you know, whether it be whether it be uh, uh, McWilliams coming back around or, or Dean just sticking there, I'd like to see more consistency and then just kind of shore up and know who they want at that second spot for, from here on out, in addition to all the other uh, uh, items you guys brought up. What I was going to mention, and when I mentioned interior defense earlier for run game was taking up our occupying double teams and freeing up those linebackers. The one thing I've noticed that we've at times struggled with that we probably need to get better on offensive line standpoint on our offense is getting up to second level. And that's the biggest thing, double teams and getting getting that second guy up to the, double, the second level, putting a running back in one-on-one -on -one situations with safeties. And, and obviously that's one thing we did really well in 06 and 08 was with Marquise Mike Pouncey and those those tenured offensive linemen were fast moving offensive linemen, you know, the Drew Millers of the world that ran, a, you know, four nine forties. Those guys could get up to a second level. It was very sound fundamentally. That's one thing I'd like for us to get a little bit better at, but obviously on the defensive side also take away those double teams and free up Voshan and David Reese to get downhill fast. If you go back and watch the Tennessee game, the one thing you notice on film was David Reese was flying downhill. Right. Voshan Joseph against LSU was flying downhill, coming through the hole, making making plays at the line of scrimmage. And if you give those those types of athletes the ability to do that, man, it makes your defense so much more powerful against the run. Tate, I think what you said about the offensive line getting to the second level is obviously the next step this offense takes. Uh, what you mentioned, though, was in like 06, 08. Right. Those were years into that scheme. This is year one from guys. No, are, no, absolutely. And man, that's not, man. And it's not, yeah, absolutely. And it's not to take and, away from that. It's not right, to, but I think it goes back to what you said in year one. 
year two, year one and a half. That's where I think you see that next step in the offense next year is the zone blocking scheme from the offensive line. Yeah, we might lose one or two tackles, and that that could be a sore spot on this offense next year. But the wherewithal and the knowledge this offensive line should have in the zone blocking scheme after year one, I'm hoping propels it a little bit. What will propel it, though, at least for the time being in the interim, is the no talent issues, the small stuff where it doesn't take any talent to fix, right? The pulling pulling guards getting around vertical and kicking out blocks instead of kind of getting around the corner and a guy runs right by him. Small sure. stuff like that, right? We, we've yeah. seen it, and it's not – But the it's a development over the years, and, and, and yeah. we should see that. Yeah, and, and obviously, mind you, I'm also not trying to criticize the offensive line. That's <laughs> that's what I like to see develop over the next few weeks for us to go from a 6-1 and one team to a 10-1 and one team. We're going to have to start I seeing agree. some of that, right? Because when you get in these Missouri-South Carolina games, et cetera, the games you have to win to stay at that one-loss season – you're going to have to kind of correct those. And mind you, I know that, that John Hevesy is sitting there in the film room right now <laughs> screaming at people to get it done. The one yeah. thing I like to see on the sidelines that we haven't seen in the last four years. Coaching. When you come off. Yeah, absolutely. You come off, yeah. Third, I, sat fourth row, I, I sat fourth row in the first game. Yeah. And uh, we were right next to the receivers. With that's, a, that's a slight flex there. I sat fourth row. <laughs> no, I mean, it was a friend on the timeline. We can get to him later. He hooked my kids up with some tickets, right? So, but we were sitting right in front of Billy Gonzalez. And to see him, after a touchdown pass, grab the guys by their face masks and drag them to the whiteboard. And then Dan, Dan was harping on Felipe, the rocker step. And we finally yeah. saw that in the other game yeah. a few weeks ago. Well, it's all about development. You watch Billy Gonzalez and John Hevesy because they're the only two that I can attest to that, that you see in action when I was in school. Right. And, and John Hevesy is probably the most, uh, you know, he, he just <laughs> no full on, he's full on aggressive. It's, it's 100 miles an hour. And, and you, as a player, you love it because he keeps you, he keeps you from getting complacent. Billy yeah. Gonzalez is the same way, and I split time with both of those guys being, a, you know, a hybrid tight end to a to offensive line, working that H-back position. John Havasey is one of those guys that third, fourth quarter, Charleston Southern, and he was still ripping guys on the sideline. Keeping you engaged, leading yeah, you, and it, making it, you great. It's exactly what it is, and when you get into this game like a Georgia week, I can promise you the one thing that they're telling these guys going into the Georgia game is if you show up this week, and, and mess around and practice. If Monday's not crisp, if Tuesday's not crisp, if Wednesday's not crisp, if walkthrough on Thursday's not crisp, if breakfast and walkthrough on Friday's not crisp, and if you don't wake your butt up on Saturday and get ready for this game and be crisp in our walkthroughs, you will get your you-know-what beat, and it's yeah. going to happen. And so I don't think that that coaching staff that we had the last two, three years was necessarily approaching it that way. And I'm not saying that that's all on coaching. The players still got to show up. You still got to do what's right, and you got to execute the game plan. But that's the kind of stuff that I love seeing as I'm sitting on the sideline, I'm watching these games, and I've gone back to plenty of games since then. It, it is a night and day transition from what was there. All right, Dan Thompson. Yeah, no, I think everybody's touched on good points. I think the last thing that I wanted to mention is we saw it a little bit during Mississippi State. The one thing that I want to just make sure that that team focuses on is just communication, uh, and especially at the line of scrimmage. Uh, there's going to be some audibles. That more, more is now going to fall on Felipe Franks now that we're halfway through this season for him to make that 
that call at, at potentially the line of scrimmage or to make sure that they're lining up and getting to the line of scrimmage on time. We've had a number of delay of game penalties or, or timeouts uh, that Florida's had a call, uh, you know, with, with one second left or, or even close to zero seconds left. So I think that that's the, the one thing that they can really spend this time on is time in their playbook, time to make sure that they're uh, together and communicating. But I think that you guys all made uh, some great points, but uh, I think we, we touched on, on some really nitpicky stuff. So I think that that's yeah. good compared to where we thought we would be. One, one thing before we uh, move on, uh, I want to give, like, because when my man Sider, you know, my boy, bro. So when Sider left, I, I didn't really like that, that whole transition, man. We got to get props to Greg Knox, man. Uh, mm-hmm. Hindsight 2020 is the perfect hire, bro. Uh, special team is booming. Running back position is booming. Uh, the, the recruiting trail fixes itself. We'll get a start running back, man. But it was it was the perfect hire. The chemistry amongst the staff, Dan did the right thing, man. Yeah, I'm glad we brought that up in the the pre the, you know the preseason panels we did. We we I've, most of us hit on I think the importance of bringing a lot of that Mississippi State staff you know with Mullen and and you know I I thought it would I, I thought it would speak positive to the results on the field, but little did I know it would speak so positive uh, to the results on the field and just the continuity uh, there. So guys, of course, uh, right now the biggest game of the season coming up for the Gators after this bye week. Uh, but when we did this panel before the season started. Uh, I think I think Dan asked the question: Was there a guaranteed loss on the schedule, or, or somebody asked it? And then most of us said <laughs> yeah. Georgia. Do we still feel that way? Is this a guaranteed loss now for the Gators? I don't guarantee losses, bro. Well, you, you said that last time too, so yeah, that, yeah. You're, you're consistent. So there we go. <laughs> uh, company company policy, bro. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't think that this is a guaranteed loss. I don't think it's a guaranteed win. I think that Florida's coming off of an emotional win. They have a bye week. Uh, Georgia's coming off a really emotional loss where they really got their teeth kicked in for the first time in a really long time, um, probably since the first year of Kirby Smart. So I think that it's going to be a battle of who comes back and is excited to play. I think that Florida uh, or, or energetic to play. I think that Florida can um, expose a lot of. Georgia. I think that that Georgia's not quite as strong on defense as they were. I think that they can control the line of scrimmage a little bit more than they were able to last year. So I think that Florida has a great chance this year against Georgia. However, this is probably the second best team or maybe the best team that Florida is going to be playing all season. So depending on how they do is, is how they come out. And, you know, did they work during these two weeks or did they take some time and kind of rest in their laurels? And, you know, they're the number 11th ranked team this year. All it takes is, you know, a team to lose next week and Florida might be a top 10 team. And so do they rest on those laurels or do they go back to the, uh, to the weight room, to the film room? And, um, you know, based on this coaching staff and what they've been able to do thus far, I don't think they're going to do that. I would say uh, I would sit here and compare you. You know, LSU played Georgia really well, did a lot of good things on defense. I think Florida very similar to LSU on a defense perspective and offensively with a quarterback who can manage a game enough to win games for your offense with a run game that, that's decent. I think for us as Florida, you have to win the run game, you have to win the turnover battle, and you have to play great on special teams. You have to show up and play mistake-free football in order to win this game, and it's 100% feasible for us to win this game. Florida shows up, wins the run game, stops the run on defense. You have to make Fromm or Fields, whoever that may be, which I guarantee it's probably going to be Fromm, beat you with his arm, and I'm all right with that because the back end has to be buttoned down. Hey, Tay, one, one, one thing with your experience before, before we get in right here. What is Dan Mullen working on in this bye week? Well, I think the biggest thing, he's getting back to the fundamentals, making sure he's, he's, he's literally pounding into his, his guys' heads you have to play fundamental football. You have to be polished as possible from a disciplinary standpoint. That means the penalties, the small stuff, right? 
guys getting kicked out of games against, you know, last week with Boshan Joseph, the second penalty was obviously a team penalty, nothing he can do about the situation. The first one could have let that go. Young player made a mistake. It is what it is. My biggest thing is you have to show up. You can't turn the football over, which means no silly fumbles. You can't just throw, you know, blatant picks to other opposing defenders. You have to show up with a game plan. You have to hit that. Dan Mullen's going to have to be sharp. Todd Grantham's going to have to be sharp in the play calling, which I don't doubt either one of them are going to show up to this game, especially Grantham being an ex-Georgia guy, to this game. Dan Mullen knows what this game means to the Florida Gator fan base. He knows what it means to win this game. I think we all understand the implications in the East right now as it stands with Florida trying to jump Georgia and having that leverage going into the back half of the season. As a player, man, this is the most fun game you'll ever play in. Let's go. It is one of the most fun. I still like go. driving over the driving over the bridge on the bus to seeing all the Georgia fans flipping you off and all the grandmas with their little red pants and the G's all over it and drunk stumbling <laughs> over the tailgates. It, it just to literally see that stadium empty in the third quarter is about as good of a sight as a Florida Gator fan will ever see until they get to heaven. That is probably the best thing that we see as Florida Gator fans is nothing but orange and blue on one half of the stadium. And that, that, that gets me hyped every time we beat Georgia, every time we talk to Georgia fans. And I don't even show them the time of day until the game's over with. But, man, if Dan Mullen preps this, this team, which he is, they show up and execute the game plan. The talent's there. The ability to win this game is there. And I hope that they're taking this as serious as they possibly can during that preparation. Yeah, there's nothing better to me with that game. Uh, the, the only colors left in that stadium at the end of the game are orange, orange blue, and teal. That's uh, that's just that's yeah, the look, look, <laughs> a little jagged seats in there. I like it. <laughs> yeah. I, I think basically what we got to do is pretty much uh, uh, stop the run well and win the turnover battle to, to win this game, man. Um, Frank don't turn the ball over, we don't put the ball on the ground, and, and we pretty much take back from the guys, man. We should win that game if we play Gator football. They're not. I've been saying this for a couple of weeks, man. Georgia's not some monster at the end of the hallway, bro. They, they just – I don't care what recruiting they've been doing and what they've been getting. They're not pushing people around. They're not bullying people on the football field like I expected, at least. You know what I'm saying? So, I think we're I think we going to win this game, bro. I think we win the tournament battle. I think we go in there and um, – I think we see fields, man. I think I think we can make it messy with Fromm in there. He can't move that well. I think uh, Grantham's going to send a lot of dogs at him, bro. He got time to sit. I think it's gonna get. I think it's get messy a little bit, or with the pass rushing sacks, man. So I think we're gonna see Fields at some point in this game, bro. Yeah, I'm gonna go off um, what you said, and, and you know, and I'm I, I'm always saying that you should never read too much into each game about how bad or how good one team is, because they're always gonna surprise you in one way or the other. Um, but Georgia, I'm right with there with you, has not lived up to the expectations that I thought, especially you know, someone who follows recruiting and, and thought that they had an, you know, an Alabama-esque trend, you know, whether that's coaching, them missing on guys, guys being overvalued, uh, they haven't really lived up to that hype so far, especially their front seven. If Florida can establish the run game early against Georgia, they absolutely could win that game. It's very critical. You know, Georgia's a team that plays off of momentum because there's a, a lot of young guys there still finding the swing of things for them as well. If Florida can establish the run game as well, keep from, uh, you know, frustrated there early, uh, you know, bring some pressure against that very inexperienced offensive line, then Florida could absolutely have a chance to turn the tides and be the team that has the early lead there and take Georgia out of the game. Georgia needs to be a team that establishes the lead early because we've seen them this season struggle to overcome, you know, even a one-score deficit. So if I'm Florida, the biggest thing I want to do is, is kind of script one of those drives 
together that, that you, you know, they were kind of famous for for three years. Um, it was kind of funny watching, uh, you know, people freak out when – who was it a few games ago? LSU, you know, yeah. came right down the field and, and put together a 10-play drive, 75 yards, and everyone, you know, is freaking out saying, oh, the sky's falling, here it comes. Well, you know, three years ago, the, the, you know, the spin was when Florida would come right down the field, oh, that was the one good drive. You know, it's kind of interesting where where people expect, you know, um, if, if they face a, you know, early deficit that Florida is going to uh, struggle. But right now that the team that has responded well and Georgia has not responded well when faced with that early deficit. And I think that's something that I'm if I'm Dan Mullen, I'm harping on the entire uh, 13 days before that game. Yeah, I mean, I, I think everybody's pretty much hit on it. Uh, I think this is a game that comes down to the run. Most Florida Georgia games do. You know, if you can control that line of scrimmage, I think. Uh, you have a very good shot. I think more than anything, I think we, we kind of hit on it earlier uh, when we were talking about hero ball. Florida just has to avoid playing hero ball in this game. You know, the, on both sides of the ball, uh, I think the defense has to be in its run fits. You know, they have to be very sound and trust each other. Uh, and then on the offensive line, kind of like Tate was talking about, you've got to be able to get to the second level and hit some linebackers against Georgia and really free up Scarlett and Pirine to get some openings into the second level. You got Tyler or Zach, whichever one? I would say, I mean, I think both both teams have bye weeks, so it comes up to coaching and scheming something. So, um, if you're looking at Georgia on their end, I would look to try to expose the rush and the blitz that's coming. Wow, I think we lost him. Go ahead, Zach. Yeah, <clears throat> no, I mean, I, I... okay. Go ahead, Zach. Yeah, I mean, I would say, obviously, when, when you look at the game, uh, I think Florida offensively cannot turn over the ball. Um, no matter what you do, I mean, you got to win that battle. So just make sure that you, you're taking care of it on your end um, so that you can sustain the drives and be able to compete with them. Defensively, I mean, give them help. Give UGA the, just the, the worst attack that they've seen all season. They've shown that they were susceptible against LSU. I think Florida's got an even better defense. Um and whatever ways that Grantham can, you know, dial up to frustrate from, uh, I think you got to count on that for Florida to win. And lastly, in third phase of the game, you got to win the special teams battle. And whether that's, um, you know, just taking care of, of the assignments you need, making your kicks, punting, punting them when you need to, or making a game-changing play like we've seen Florida make uh, in the Florida-Georgia game, or like we've seen them make this season even last week at Vanderbilt. So if, if Mullen can dial something up like that, um, you know, have another dominant defensive battle and take care of the ball offensively. That's how you beat this team. Yeah, I think we go back to last week. And that's the first time that we we've seen Georgia tested all season long. And you go back and look at their Shepherd, right oh, now. Is that it? Hold on a second. Is that German Shepherd? <laughs> Those are cops. He's got boxers. Oh, it sounds like a cop dog, bro. I got a little nervous. Yeah, but you go back to last week, and it was the first time Georgia was tested against LSU, and they, they, they smacked them around a good bit. And, look, their best win, you go and look at Georgia's schedule, their best wins what? South Carolina, Tennessee right now? And I was as guilty as anyone of, uh, of putting them up on the tier of they're as good as Alabama. They've recruited as good as Alabama. Uh, they're, they're not there. They, Georgia is not anywhere near what Alabama is right now. They, look, they can come in here and, and beat Florida – uh, next week and you know, change the tune, but you don't, you don't get beat by LSU like that. And then, you know, have confidence that, you, you know, you, in picking that they're definitely going to beat Florida. And with, with the way Florida's playing right now and the way Georgia's playing right now, I can't say definitively 
you know, Georgia is going to beat Florida like I did before the season started. And it is, it's amazing how things change uh, when in just a couple seasons. But looking at what Georgia has done so far this year, looking who they've played, look how they've performed, a lot of their issues of offensive line blocking and not be able to protect from as good as they did last year without those two running backs, Michelle and Chubb. You know, the, the, yes, Swift is good and Holyfield is good. They're not those two guys. And they lost that leadership of Roquan Smith last year. And I think you could see that last week when they really couldn't get back into that game on the defensive side of the ball when LSU pretty much did whatever they wanted to do. Georgia's still a good team. They still may be a great team, but they're not up on that pedestal that a lot of us thought when the season started. Well, let's make no mistake about it, though. We can't can't sit here and and self-evaluate Georgia after a loss against a good LSU team. And I think the thing is you also can't take away for how good LSU is, right? Their defense is quality defense, and not only SEC in the nation – they're not the best on offense, but LSU is a good team, right? Georgia is still a great team, right? And that's why I think this game is by Florida. If we want to pro- propel ourselves into this back half of the season, if we want the swamp to be back, I'm not sitting here saying Georgia is sitting on a, on a pedestal up here and Florida is still down here. They're a beatable team. If Florida gets through the bye week and does what they need to do to take care of business and show up to that game, they can win. I will say, if you also don't take care of business and you go through a bye week, lackadaisical, and you show up half, half, you know, half awake, similar to what we did in the first half against Vanderbilt, you can also get your butt beat really bad. So my, my thing is, we have to take care of our business. We have to play the football. We know how to play. You show up like we did against LSU, Florida can win this game. It's got to start on Monday, and Dan Mullen can't come in saying that he's been getting death threats. Um, that's not how you start Georgia week. Dang it, man. Um, you don't but but it, it, <laughs> two, things, two things, one that Silk said, one, one that Tate said, Georgia's not not playing physical, but it's not like the, the physical kind of bully Georgia that, that you're probably used to, um, but they can run the football. And DeAndre Swift, he's averaging five yards of carry, four touchdowns. Holyfield's averaging seven and a half yards of carry. So it, it's, it's stopping those guys. And, and what Tate said is, if you're going to have Georgia beat you, it's going to be because Fromm did it with his arm. You're not going to let that running game beat you. So I think that goes back to what everyone has touched on is uh, being physical up front, stopping the running game, specifically those two guys who are, are kind of home run threats, you know, really whenever whenever they have the ball in their hand. Yeah, I know uh, uh, Tyler and I can kind of speak to this, but also you guys, uh, you know, I, I've, I'll, I'll be half and half whether I'm in the, the, the media box or if I am uh, just got tickets as a fan or whatever. But, you know, First of all, this season's been a, a lot more fun than I actually saw it, saw, saw it coming. And, you know, covering the team, having a podcast, you guys writing articles, having your own podcast as well. It's a lot more fun talking about a team that's 6-1 and one and, and, and winning than it is about woe-is-me attitude with the coaching staff and you know, looking lost on the field. And as a fan, you know, being in the stands for that, for that LSU game, the swamp was back. And I tell you what, it's, uh, it, it's fun to – Cheer for a team like this. It's fun to cover a team like this. Yeah, Actually, I mean, I'm having. Go ahead. Go I make ahead. a joke uh, like before every game, we'll be hanging out at the tailgate in the RV lot or whatever, and um, I always tell people like, let's hang out afterwards. We're either firing the entire staff or we're buying Natty tickets. We bought a lot more Natty tickets this year, and it's a lot more fun, right? <laughs> um, and I think that has a lot to to do with um, just the staff, the team. Like, just it's more fun when football's fun. And when your mentality is high, when you expect to win, you're going to have a better opportunity. Yeah, overall, the product just looks better, man. Um, the Kentucky game was, was, was a little hard just because of the, how long we beat Kentucky. So it was, but I, did, I wasn't 
down on the season. I still knew Dan Mullen was going to put a good product on the field. And we, was hey, so we, we, got, we got a pregame fight for that one. Though. Oh, Dave was there. I forgot Dave was there, bro. Oh, man, that was wild pregame, man. It was That was a weird day, bro. All, all together, dog, like, that day was weird, man, from the uh, pregame tailgate fight, the rain, rainstorm right before the get kickoff. Like, everything was weird, man. Um, and just talking to some of the players, they came out flat that night, bro. They, they wasn't – the energy level wasn't right for that night game. So I, I just wasn't down, man. And um, Dan Mullen bounced back with, with some good wins. Uh, it's going to be hard for me to miss a home game this year, bro. It's been a while since we had a good product. And, and I'm gassing up my car and driving on every chance I can, bro. It's, it's feeling nostalgic, Tate. I got to get back to the field as, as much as possible, baby. Like I said, you win this game. It, it, you know, Dan Mullen's been challenging his fan base to come back. The last home game we had was LSU. They answered the bell. And we still had some seats open. You win this game, you start to get back to where we need to be. And, and if you finish this season 10-2 and two or better, I can promise you he's going to come back quicker than we thought. Yeah, it's it's been really fun to watch, guys, and uh, it's been great talking with you guys. Uh, I guess Zach's having some mic issues, so he wanted to give a shout out to Lance and Jasper. Uh, go ahead and do that for him. But uh, yeah, <laughs> I just want to say I enjoyed this, guys. It was really fun chatting with you. Absolutely, thanks, Thomas. Yeah, good stuff, everyone. <laughs> Dave, just real quick, let me hop in. I think what's yeah. what's also cool to see is that I know the Florida's doing really well offensively, defensively. The statistics are good. Everybody's excited about that, but they've been against some some good opponents too right a lot of power five teams are you know florida's ranked really high you know a, amongst teams that have played a similar amount of power five games so when you look at a game like georgia you see you know that they let up i don't know almost six yards a rush against lsu and i think that florida's got a better running back um you know depth room than uh than lsu does so i think that florida can do it missouri ran for four touchdowns and you know almost 100 or almost 200 yards so i think that florida can do it but the way that they've been able to win, it's not only that they have six wins this year, it's that they have six wins and four of them are against power five teams. So, um, you know, I think that Florida's going to end the season with six or seven power five wins, which is pretty incredible. Hey, and before we go, we got to uh, celebrate that that Silk has been freed. Twitter's most wanted. We're back, baby. <laughs> back. I got to get off of this thing, man. My wife's my anniversary, bro. I'm not hanging out with you nerds, bro. I got to go. All right, bro. Andrew, thirty-five seconds. Ah! <laughs> you gave me thirty seconds. Hey, appreciate I'm it. I'm trying to help my man out. <laughs> I don't have shit to prove no more. I mean, nothing to prove anymore. So you got, you got me relaxed for a second there, man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, so sorry about that, Dave. Nah, you good, Nick? Yeah. Uh, Graham, it's been, it's been a fun season. Yeah, I mean, definitely. I mean, you look at Florida right now; they're definitely. Oh, look at that face. In top 25 wins against ranked opponents, there's just two other teams right now there that can say that. Um, obviously, you know, that you guys have been dogging me for rocking, you know, the stash, Bill stashed. Um, you know, this is this is the face of someone who's confident. Um, and I think Florida <laughs> right go, now, you look go, at Felipe. Don't go Franks, about playing been, been, bro. Just wait, just wait a second. We just wait a second. We've been we've been dogging Felipe Franks's goatee, which is abysmal. Let's not lie. But, you know, do you think that he would have felt comfortable rocking that at this point last year, the way things were going, going from being a four-star, you know, the man in Crawfordville to, to being dogged by everyone and, and being, have, you know, one-up by Jonathan? He has more confidence than anybody in the world, man. Of course <laughs> have. have you met Franks, bro? 
Uh, he didn't I, know he stunk last year. I'm gonna tell you that right now. He had no idea he wasn't playing well last year, bro. Listen, let me tell you something <laughs> about. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. Ever been, bro. That's hey, Stevie I Wonder. Jump, I gotta, I gotta jump. I gotta jump. <laughs> he in had because, no idea. <laughs> I, I gotta jump in because I gotta tell you the player mentality. We don't care what anybody else around us is saying, right? Like, <laughs> as, a, as a player, it's not like we're sitting out here reading the Gainesville Sun and all these articles or all these, you know, I don't know. Like, there's a lot of players reading those tweets now. Now, yeah, well, Frank, 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 so hey, listen, how do you think he was a like, Hold on, you're breaking, you're breaking my heart. Hey, I thought I thought they were watching this right now. <laughs> listen, <laughs> hey, I, I will say this: we didn't have Twitter. We didn't have Twitter back you're then. Really so the are, that's don't, don't lie. Now, but my point is though, <laughs> you're not taking it to heart, right? You you hear everything as a player, and you hear it from your own fan base at times. You hear it even worse from opposing fan bases. And the last thing you're worried about is what somebody's saying negative about you. Your biggest thing is. How do I secure my job and continue to keep it throughout a season? I could care less what Joe Schmo's telling me. I'm sitting there every day going to work at 5 a.m. and I'm getting back at 8 o'clock at night. I'm going to sleep and I'm getting up and doing it again and again and again and again. And all the while, I'm trying to continue those A's and B's in the classroom to make sure that I get my degree. By the time I'm done, I got a job somewhere. That's all you're worried about. So as an athlete, the, the mindset is not like to worry about whatever. Felipe Franks, half the stuff he's heard, he probably lost the day after. That's that's it, that's in his right. DNA though, Tate, because we've had quarterbacks, but that stuff got to him. Uh, for sure, for sure. But you know what though? That and that ties into the mentality, right? Yeah. It ties yeah. into the culture. It ties into everything else that Dan Mullen's trying to bring this quarterback. Keep the BS out of your head. Come in here ready to work, and that's all that matters. Already. Uh, it's it's just a jump, man. It's just a jump, man. Stuff. That's all. No. <laughs> it's the, the brand. All right, man. I'm gonna, I'm gonna have me some wine. Come on, it's over. So I'm gonna have me some wine and uh, relax, man. So I'm getting some looks. I gotta get out of here. Right, I appreciate y'all, man. Yeah. Hey, happy anniversary, fun. bro. Yeah. Appreciate it, man. You guys good? Ready to sign off? Hey guys, it was a fun time. Good. Appreciate it. It was. It was. I'm yeah, sure. Absolutely, uh, guys. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, we'll get the request. I'm sure uh, the the request will be uh, to do it again after the season. Hopefully, it's uh, the second week of December. Yeah, that's and always not, nice. Not the first pre uh, <laughs> national championship uh, panel. Yeah. yeah, there we go. I wouldn't I wouldn't hate doing one in Atlanta. Let's see if we can get there first. <laughs> yeah, there we go. All right, guys. Um, yeah, I can't. Yeah, Dave, so Tate, all you guys. Thanks for having me. Hey, man, appreciate you guys having me. I'm gonna sign off. Y'all have a good one. All right. All right, all right, guys. Yeah, it was fun. It was fun. Uh, podcast version will be available too. Uh, but thanks for thanks for everybody checking this out live on YouTube as well. And uh, uh, the the Gator panel uh, will sign off again. Uh, and uh, thank thanks for listening. Uh, it takes a lot of work for from all the work these guys do uh, to to get everything together and cover the Gators for for Gator Nation. So uh, thanks Gator Nation for listening, and thanks uh, to all these guys uh, for uh, for joining me here and Silk and putting this Gator panel together. See you later. Mm-hmm.